Why is it the same repetitive mistakes continue to rob salespeople of more commission checks, regardless of industry, size of company, or region of the globe? These same inhibitors are holding us back from reaching our full potential. Amongst many industry awards, Ian Selby achieved the accolade of top salesperson in the world at Apple. And in this podcast, he will discuss the issues that sales professionals encounter from his own experiences, confessing to the problems he has endured and how he overcame them, giving the benefit of his wisdom to everyone listening who work in the world of sales. To help you, he will reveal strategies to overcome the issues hurting salespeople and helping you reach new levels of sales success. Confessions of a Sales Pro. Lessons, more wins. With your host, Ian Selby. Welcome to Confessions of a Sales Pro. I have a very special returning guest this week, a gentleman by the name of Steve Gelda, author and co-founder of Ignite Selling in Austin, Texas. Steve co-founded Ignite Selling with his business partner, Kevin Jones, in the fall of 2010, a global sales effectiveness company focusing on improving the critical selling skills needed to effectively compete in today's ever-changing market. Steve began his own sales career back in 1987 as an account executive with Lanyard Worldwide. He held a variety of sales leadership roles, ultimately becoming regional vice president of Lanyard Professional Services. In 1997, Steve joined Hutwaite, a sales effectiveness company founded by the the well-known Neil Rackman, author of Spin Selling. And in 2002, Steve entered the world of entrepreneurship by starting his own franchise with Advantage Performance Group and later partnering with Dr. Richard Ruff to grow sales momentum. Today, Steve continues to support the sales and marketing efforts of Ignite Selling, supporting new clients, development, research, writing, and speaking. The focus of this week's session is Steve's latest book, Ignite Your Sales Strategy, a field guide to accelerating your pipeline. Steve, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Ian, thank you so much for having me. It's always a joy spending some time with you and supporting you and your listeners. Oh, that's great. And we're so glad you were able to make the time again. And uh, you've got some exciting new news. And um, I'd to dive into it with, with you. Uh, Steve, please tell our listeners, with your new book, why did you elect to write this second book of yours? What was the stimulus? What motivated you? Yeah, you know, I think what it was is really are the insights we're gaining from our customers. Uh, we wrote and published the first book, Premeditated Selling, in uh, the fall of 2012. And at that, at that point in time, we had just begun the business, and the work that we're doing today was different than the work that we were doing back then. And I would say back in t- starting 2015, right about seven years ago, we started conducting a lot of these win-loss analyses with our clients. And every time, Ian, we do a win-loss analysis, our eyes are opened up to how is it that salespeople think? Um, why do they do what they do when they win and when they lose? And we even learn more from the customers. I mean, we, we have to accept that the customers are changing just as fast as the, the world of sales, uh, maybe even faster. And maybe that's the reasons why salespeople need to stay on top of things. But in these win-loss analyses, we interview not just the salesperson, but we also go interview their customer. And we'll interview maybe three or four different people inside those customer organizations. 
And the insights that they share with us are always very telling as to why they chose to work with a particular uh, vendor, a particular partner over somebody else. And so we just learned so much over the last seven years that we said, you know what, it's time to, to write another book. And so that's what we decided to do. That's so exciting. It's like uh, birthing another baby, bringing out another book. That's uh, <laughs> Congratulations, Steve. And, and it's, I think you're right. The, the world is changing. The last couple of years have taught us that in the world of sales, where what customers think about what's important to them. So it's, uh, it's got to be a, a fascinating journey you've been on. The subtitle of your new book, I love it, A Field Guide to Accelerate Your Pipeline. What salesperson listening to this doesn't want to accelerate their pipeline? So, Steve, maybe you could elaborate. What are the traps that cause a sales pipeline to stall or just fall down, break down, get stuck in the mud? What, what are the big things there? Yeah, you know, and, and the reason we, uh, by the way, the reason we kind of put that as a tagline is because our research shows that there are 72% of all opportunities stall somewhere in the sales pipeline. And that's a big number. And uh, if you start thinking 72% of the opportunities are slowing down more than 30 days. And so we have to kind of unpack that. So when we have to, we start to unpack that, why are opportunities stalling in the pipeline? The kind of overarching reason is that salespeople make too many assumptions and they skip steps along the way. But in this book, what we'll do is we kind of examine the why does that happen and then what do we do about it? And without giving away the whole book, what we really start to unpack is we find out that most of our clients that we engage with have allowed us to kind of examine, sometimes enhance, their existing sales pipeline process. And we find in many cases that each stage is not clearly articulated, first of all. So if I was to talk to five sales leaders, five sales managers of a company, I'll ask them, what are the particular gates or particular outcomes that need to happen in order to move an opportunity from stage three to stage four? Well, I often get sometimes four or five different answers. And that's a problem in itself that the sales process or the pipeline process they have is not clearly defined. So therefore that alone sometimes will cause opportunities to stall because sales representatives don't really know what's expected of them in maybe the early, middle or late stages. But we have to ask ourselves the bigger question. What do we do about it? And it's not just about going back and redefining or clarifying the stages. Yes, that helps. But I think the other thing we need to do is to ensure that, when we break these things down, we're providing clear direction to the sales team that simply challenges the common assumptions that are often made. If you think about it, Ian, you're, you've been in sales for a long time. You talk to a bunch of different sales leaders. I mean, how many people do you think, when, when, how well do you think sales representatives truly understand maybe the decision criteria that the customer is using to compare, say, vendor A to vendor B? Do you think that it's something that all sales representatives know, or do you think it's just only the best of the few? What's your thoughts? I think it's uh, probably the few, and I call it lazy selling, Steve, when there's a salesperson, this is a classic mistake that it really underscores what you're talking about. Uh, a typical salesperson will, will go out and befriend one person in the account, and they'll assume that that one, <laughs> there's that assumption word, a bad word, 
They'll assume that that one person can sell the deal for them internally. And that's just lazy selling because there's never one person making the decision that you and I both know. It's typically three to five in a business uh, decision-making process. So, uh, yeah, consistency, definitely not. And what you just talked about, and I want you to go deeper on it if you can, on the the sales process, the, the pipeline stages, if you've got five different leaders in the same company, and their definitions of the process are not consistent. It's like, you know, what kind of leadership is that? It's like asking someone to coach baseball on Monday, coach football on Tuesday, and get out and coach hockey on Wednesday. <laughs> Who could do that? You, you need a consistent yeah. playbook to make this work. What are other thoughts you have on that, Steve? Yeah, uh, well, let, let's kind of drill that down a little bit. I think that, in, you know, I would... I would bet 90% of the companies that we engage, you know, we engage with a lot of Fortune 500 companies. They still fall into this trap. You would think that companies with those types of resources would maybe not, they would have find ways to avoid those traps. And it's, it's really not their fault. A lot of the CRM systems that are coming out, and you name them, I mean, there's a lot of great ones out there. Um, but without promoting one particular one on this podcast, there's a lot of great CRMs out there, but they all come with a predetermined pipeline process and clear definitions. And too often organizations just simply adopt what the CRM system has, or they may customize it, but they'll simply customize the headings. Instead of calling stage one, stage one, they may call stage one prospect, stage two qualify, stage three develop, whatever it might be. But it's, it's not enough. We need to be really be able to help direct sales representatives by simply saying, what are the best of the best, the ones that win in your organization, what are they doing in that prospect stage? And what are they doing in that qualified stage? And, and, and we need to kind of hold people accountable for doing that. We, we call, when we're building out a sales process or a pipeline process, we call a set of activities underneath each stage critical milestones. And I think you're going to like this definition. A definition of a critical milestone is a strategic action that, if not taken, puts the opportunity at risk. I'll repeat that. So we define each stage with a series of three to five critical milestones. And those critical milestones are strategic actions that, if not taken, puts the opportunity at risk. And so at risk could mean it's going to stall. At risk could mean if you don't find this stuff out, you're vulnerable to losing to the competition. And so that's kind of one of the things that we do to kind of help prevent opportunities from stalling in that pipeline process is we kind of build, we examine why it happens, and then we start to kind of unpack what do we need to to do about it in order to reduce the likelihood of opportunity stalling. And here's a, here's an interesting, you know, piece of of our own research. When clients have a well-defined sales process written out by a set of critical milestones and their teams are held accountable. In other words, managers are coaching to those milestones. We're able to move opportunities from the stage one through stage six, stage seven, whatever theirs is at a rate of 37% faster. Think about that for a moment. Moving, That's capturing revenue 37% faster annually, just simply because you better define each stage of your pipeline process. You define the game you're playing, you have business rules for it, and you stick to it, hold them accountable. Who wouldn't want a 37% uh, efficiency yeah. increase in your pipeline? My gosh, you really landed on something huge here. Steven. And you're right about your comments about CRM. 
And so many, my clients as well, they, they, they buy whatever. We won't name them, but you all know yep. who you are. Um, uh, they buy them and they just, okay, whatever it says out of the box, we'll just, you know, you're right, maybe change the heading. Uh, but whatever the rules are, we'll just follow those. Well, that's like mm-hmm. having a, a slice in your golf game, going back to the pro shop and buying a great big Bertha, hoping that fixes your slice. <laughs> you're deeper in the right. trees. The process right. is the golf swing. So you you need training. You need some coaching. You need to fix your swing. <laughs> Once that's fixed, then go get the tool and make the tool fit your process. Don't make your process yeah. fit your tool, right? And I've seen that so many correct. times. And, you know, it, it makes CRM stand for another acronym, Cash Runaway Monster. That's what it can stand for. Oh, that's great. It's not done properly. <laughs> You've seen it, I'm sure. <laughs> So, Steve, in your book, uh, and I, yeah, I, I can't wait to get my autograph copy, but in your book, sure. you speak to the importance of having a set of strategy tools. Why are strategy mm. tools so important in developing a winning sales strategy overall, Steve? Yeah, we, we intentionally created a set of tools as opposed to a form. You know, being in this business for 22 years now, I've seen a lot of different things on how a lot of different processes and tools and forms that sales representatives use to uh, manage opportunity. And one of the things that just seems to kind of hold true is that a form doesn't help people think. There's a lot of account planners that are out there. And yep. these account planners are well-intentioned, but they often don't drive the outcomes that sales leaders or even sales representatives are looking for. And that outcome is obviously a winning sale. Not saying that these things aren't always useful. What I am saying is that they don't challenge the critical thinking of a salesperson. What they do is merely examine what does a salesperson know and what the salesperson doesn't know. So look at any kind of account plan. The ultimate goal is to complete the account plan, to be able to fill in the, the blanks on that account plan. Well, simply knowing what you know and what you don't know and going to get that information isn't formulating strategy. It doesn't challenge the critical thinking of that salesperson or what they should be doing in this account. So let's just go back to the example that you talked about earlier. You said when it usually takes three to five different key influencers inside of an account to go ahead and, um, you know, to, to win. Typically, you can't just go to one person. So if the account form simply says, list out those influencers that are important, and maybe there's five or six slots down there. Well, the salesperson will put in the first name. They'll kind of maybe feel a little bit guilty that maybe I need to go find somebody else. Or maybe a good manager will coach them and simply ask, is this it? Are these all the key influencers that are involved? And a good manager will challenge them thinking a little bit and simply say, no, maybe we there are some other people. So then once those names are filled in, what we often see is managers patting their sales representative on the back and saying, hey, good job. You've now done what I've asked you to do. You've found more people who might be involved. Well, simply knowing those individuals isn't enough. What we, what we do is now take a tool. We call it our influencer snapshot. And we're simply saying knowing these individuals is merely just kind of the ticket to the dance. Now what you have to do is actually go make something happen. And so our tool simply says, how, what's the level of influence of these individuals from highest level to lowest level of influence? And I've even seen some good strategy uh, forms that, that ask for that. Who has the highest level of influence? And I've even seen forms that simply say, hey, 
which of these people love you and which of these people don't? Who's your coach? Who's your, who's your, who's your maybe uh, adversary? We use the term advocate and adversary. But again, knowing just those three things, who are the influencers? What's your level of influence? And then what's the level of advocacy towards you is again, just data. It's good data, but it doesn't challenge people to think now. Now, what do you do about this picture? And so what we believe a tool does is it challenges the critical thinking that simply says, what are you going to do to improve this picture? If in fact you have a couple of high influencers that are adversaries, you can't just accept that. You have to take action. You have to think about how do I leverage my advocates to somehow neutralize my adversaries? Or what's the game plan to go meet with that adversary? So we believe that strategy tools are more than just simply acknowledging a set of factors of who are the influencers, who loves you, and how do, how do you rank them? It's simply saying, now, let's start thinking strategically. What are we going to do about it? And so we have a series of um, four tools in this book that we introduce. And the, the tools are starting off with, you know, understanding your, we call it a situation snapshot. It's about really understanding the situation inside the account. I mean, how many times do we find ourselves going after business we never should have been going after to start with, right? So this, this, this situation snapshot kind of helps us, first of all, examine, is this an opportunity we want to chase? The influencer right. snapshot, the one I just talked to you about. The next one is the competitive snapshot, which is all about making sure we understand the decision criteria that's being used and how do we influence that decision criteria in our favor. And the fourth tool is called the value snapshot. It's about are we effectively aligning our unique capabilities to the business metrics or outcomes that our clients are striving to achieve? So in this book, we talk about the importance of using a tool when it's necessary. You don't need to use every tool every time. So it's more than an account planner. It's a tool that challenges the critical thinking and the strategic thinking so sales representatives can accelerate the pipeline. It's a long-winded exactly. answer there. I apologize. No, but a beautiful <laughs> answer. It's plural. And if you want to play a game to win, uh, you better play it with your very best effort. And tools can help us shape our effort. And that's why I like what you said, Steve, that it's, I, I've seen this. I won't name names, but a, a company I did some work for years ago, um, they, they didn't call it an account plan, but it was like a, a, a green sheet or a blue sheet. It had some colors. <laughs> uh, we know, yeah, right, right. Do you know the color? Um, and the, yeah. the compensation plan for the sales force said, you're not going to get paid your commission until all of those forms are up to date for your whole pipeline. Wow. And uh, Isn't that crazy. And you could and, and so what was going on was they weren't being used, period. But in order to get paid, you couldn't find one of the salespeople uh from that company uh three weeks before year end, because where were they? They were filling in their paperwork so, to get yeah. paid. So yeah. it's it's, it's yeah. you're right. There's some good ones, there's some intent, but they've got to be used properly to shape your thinking and therefore your action. Yeah. And and yeah. right and, and without information, without analysis, you can't do strategy. It's like dancing in the dark. You've got to be able to turn the yep. lights on, and that's with the right information from the right people, and and understanding who you're up against. There's there's a a number of things. It's awesome that you've got four tools. So I, your book mm -hmm. again, uh, Steve. At, at the end of each chapter, you provide a list of challenge questions. I love the wording challenge questions. One of these challenge questions 
to do for the reader? What, what's the intent? What are they going to do for the reader? Yeah, we want salespeople who read this book, we, we call it a field book because we want them to take it on the field. We want them to take action and use it kind of in real time. And in order to support that, we felt that if we were to provide a list of challenge questions, it's something that the sales representative or the reader of the book who's working with a particular opportunity can go take action. These questions are designed to challenge the critical thinking of what's maybe happening or not happening inside this opportunity and what should they go do about it. So what we really want salespeople to do is to say, hey, I'm stuck with this particular opportunity. Well, let me go to this competitive snapshot and let me just kind of answer myself the questions. And one of the challenge questions in the back of the book for the, in the end of the chapter for the competitive snapshot is how does the decision criteria for the top two key influencers differ? Now think about it. If you have, there are two, two influencers uh, that are really both involved in this decision. Have they agreed upon the decision criteria? Have they ranked it the same way? Have they prioritized it? Do they believe that you can serve it in the same manner? It's highly unlikely that two people believe that the, the same decision criteria and, and that believe in the same decision criteria have ranked this decision criteria and believe that you can serve it in, the, in an equal manner. So a challenge question simply just asks, how does the decision criteria differ between the top two key influencers? If you don't know that, the likelihood you could be at risk. So that's an example. So therefore we're saying, go find out. And that's the purpose, that's the intent of the, uh, of the challenge questions at the end of each chapter, is to drive action for the reader. That's brilliant. Uh, I mean, and it's real time. I like, it's a field, you know, reading your car, when you're parking your car before you get in there to the account so that you're, you're, you're now, you know, validating your thinking and you're refreshing your question set uh, for that next uh, interaction with the client. And you're right. Decision makers seldom agree. And typically they're in different disciplines. You might have finance, operations, marketing. Already those three people don't agree on much other than where the water cooler right. is, right? So understanding right. them in detail, you know, um, and the other thing I found is not just the solution and the criteria, the timing. That can be a gotcha. You know, one decision. No doubt about it. To wait next year to get something done. Someone's trying to get it into this year's budget. So if, the, if they don't agree on when, how will you ever know where you're at? That deal is going to be at risk for you, for sure. Well, it's funny you bring that up, Ian. I'm sorry, go ahead. You go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I think it's, it's funny that you bring that up because, yeah, timing is one of those things that we focus on on our situational snapshot. One of the challenge questions at the end of that chapter, I don't know, I have it right in front of me, but it's probably something around, you know, is there consensus around the desire to make a change now? If not, what has to be done to make that happen? Because you can have that squeaky wheel, you're the person that likes you, the person that brought you into the account, simply saying, we need to make a change. We need to make a change now. That's great. However, if there is five other decision makers that are involved or to some degree, and you need to have consensus around this decision, what are you doing to drive consensus? And so that's another example of maybe a challenge question that's at the end of the chapter. So people are taking action. These, these sound like brilliant questions, Steve. I'm sure the listeners are, are getting right to, to want to order one of your books. I, I know I, I'm really enthused by it. Uh, what you're saying and what well, brilliant, brilliant, so, 
brilliant is a big word. I, I don't, I don't think it's ever been associated with ignite selling. So, yeah. or, or Steve Gelda. I'm kidding. You've made, you've made a huge dent in the sales universe, my friend. So brilliant is an appropriate word. You're just humble. Well, thank all. you. So, so Steve, like you referenced two characters, and that's what's cool about the book. You give it life. You give it personality. You referenced two characters in the book, Mike, an average performer, and Susan, a top sales performer. Are these actually real people? <laughs> Um, the names are not real. So what we've done is I've told you we've conducted a lot of win-loss analyses. So every story that Mike and Susan go through is a real story. But what we've done is we have kind of overridden this fictitious storyline to uh, and make the book more readable and more relevant to a broader audience. So we all have people that are average performers. We're, we may be an average performer, or maybe we're a top performer. We kind of we talk about the book how we all kind of ebb and flow between this role of a top performer, Susan, or an average performer, and Mike. And that's just the role of salespeople. We, we you know we we think that we're doing everything that a top performer should be doing all the time, and then we wake up one day and we go, "Wow, you're right. I don't know the difference between uh, the decision criteria between these top two key influencers. So I need to go do that." So these characters are fictitious characters that we overlay on top of a storyline from real win-loss analysis. So you'll see in here uh, a little bit of, every, you, you may find yourself in Mike from certain times, you may find yourself doing things that Susan did. But what we hope to do is to be able to expose that we all have a little bit of Mike and we all have a little bit of Susan. The question is, is how do we get more of Susan in our daily sales activities? The daily things, how do we think? We need to think more like Susan. And that's kind of um, how the book is written. A, a great way to, to, to give it color, right? To give it some kind of, there's the play-by-play and then there's the color uh, commentator. So you, you've achieved yeah. that, Steve, by, by giving it personality. And you're right. I'm, I'm sure there's days, weeks, months that someone could be average and then they, they, they wake back up again and catch on fire again and, and start leaning into their game. And I, and a book with tools in it like you've got will help more Susans show up. That's, that's just so fantastic. Now, Steve, like you, you've Thank caused you. a ton of interest here. I know you have. Um, how can our listeners uh, reach out to get a hold of you, to order the book? Maybe they want to say hi and ask you about uh, your services. How can our listeners best do that? Well, there's a couple of ways they can do that. Uh, first of all, they can just go to our website, igniteselling.com, and you can find some information on that. The book is not coming out, and it'll be out in its e-version in a couple of weeks, uh, probably um, mid-February is what we're shooting for, and the hard copies will be out and available for ordering through Amazon and all the other places in the month of March. Uh, but you should be able to, to uh, order. Your, um, if you, I tell you what, for any of your listeners that want to have an uh, electronic copy of the book, they can hit me up on LinkedIn, and we'll go ahead and we'll email them an electronic copy of the book. They can download on their Kindle or whatever the case might be. Audio versions will be coming out here in the next couple of months as well. But uh, you can hit me up on LinkedIn. That's simply Steve Gilda. Last name is G-I-E-L-D-A. So Steve Gilda. You'll find me on LinkedIn. If you hit, hit me up with a, uh, a message, I'll be sure to, uh, to get you an electronic copy of the book here within the next couple of weeks. But other times you want to learn a little bit more about Ignite Selling, either go to the Ignite Selling uh, LinkedIn page or visit our website, simplyigniteselling.com. 
Steve, that's fantastic. And thank you for such a generous offer to all of our listeners. Um, I, I, I think your My inbox is going, to, uh, ex- is going to explode, sir. That's fantastic. <laughs> Steve, I want to get... We're happy to get the book out. Guest. Yeah, has been Steve Gelda, author and co-founder of Ignite Selling in Austin, Texas. Steve, thank you once again, sir, for coming back on the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure, Ian. I always enjoy working with you, and thank you very, very much for all the work that you do uh, with Confessions of a Sales Pro. You do outstanding work. Keep it up. Thanks, Steve. And thank you for listening to Confessions of a Sales Pro. If you have found this episode informative and helpful, we would be honored and appreciative if you would share this podcast with other great salespeople like yourself. And we look forward to you joining us for all new episodes weekly, every Thursday. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. If you'd like us to help you grow your sales commissions, visit us at salesmentoryou.com. Confessions of a Sales Pro. Lessons, more wins. With Ian Selby.